0: Kamenetsky Brothers Podcast, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. It is uh, Tuesday, right? Tuesday, September 11th. Uh, We are. What like two weeks or so, give or take, from Media Day, something uh, like something that? like that.
1: About two weeks away, the the preseason opener is September twenty six, and the Lakers have announced, right, which is like four days after. Like, they, right. I know there's not a lot of gap between. And the them. Lakers have actually announced that Rob Palinka and Magic Johnson Manjinka will be doing a press conference on the twentieth. Did you add a with the Manjinka? Media. Or is it Majinka? Majinka. Majinka. There's no. Majinka. Although no, I correct.
0: do like Manjinka. <laughs> no, you're right though. It is Majinka. Is it correct? Man, uh, Manjinka
1: sounds like a video game character. Um, like, a Russian, like Street Fighter, a something. Russian video game character. Right. <laughs> Manjinka. <laughs> oh man, Manjinka just took. And my ironically, head off. Manjinka sounds more feminine than right. masculine.
0: It all. It does vaguely sound like something you shouldn't be saying on the radio. But in a can podcast. we say Manjinka? <laughs> I'm pretty sure okay? you can. I'm pretty well, sure you can. But anyway, yeah, so they'll be talking to the media next week ahead of Media Day, which is sort of a traditional thing where you can ask some questions uh, of the that direction at the exclusion of developing young players. Um, you can run into trouble. Sure. I, I've never been an advocate of, you know, I wasn't an advocate last year of trading all the young guys to get George in because then I feel like you don't have enough infrastructure. What they've done, which is free, you know, a lot of... Uh, uh, of attention and free agency, while keeping young players, I that's the best of both worlds. We can do it that way. That part I don't have a problem with. Um, so even if you you, know, you can argue about the plan, but what they've done is they've chosen something. They've been very decisive, and they've kind of put their chips on the table. So everybody's aware of what they're going to be trying to do, and they can start working towards that. Um, and in the process of it, and this was what I found was impressive. They got all the details right, and this is it's reflective of how the front office has been doing things since these guys took over, is these sort of mechanical things, the timing of the stretch, how you do it, getting Deng to take $7.5 million away from himself to do it, um, all of that stuff, and getting to the penny what you would need to sign somebody like Kevin Durant, that is the sign of a front office that is extremely competent and understands what they're doing, how they want to do it, and... Is not afraid to put those plans in motion, even if plan A, which is what this is, might, you know, kind of undercut like a little bit of plan B or plan C and make it less likely that the fallback options work. I like that they're saying, let's make plan A 25% more likely to work if even if it means plan B and C, if that if it doesn't come true,
1: you know, we might be a little screwed. Yeah. I think that's okay. I'm okay with that. I, I think Especially it's okay now that you have LeBron. I, I think it's okay. I mean, the one downside to it, or I'd say the biggest downside to it, is because, like you mentioned, they have fewer mechanisms now to bring in, say, a disgruntled, disinterested Kawhi Leonard in Toronto. You know, presumably he'd love being a Laker, but you know, there, there are fewer right. So if Toronto collapses, and right, They, exactly. they, they trade him somewhere else, right? Instead. Exactly. I mean, you have you have uh, less of an ability to do that, which is fine if that's not plan A, but what that does concede in certain ways if things go not as well as as the Lakers would like this season is you're taking the youngest of LeBron's years that you have him and you're not maximizing them potentially. Yeah, I get that. But I mean, the... the- I think the chances of that trade
0: happening this year were probably pretty slim. I'm not. I'm not saying I think it would happen. All like I'm all I'm saying is it's a, the potential. There is a potential. It's uh, the potential. I'm not saying that I'm they, disapproving of the plan. What they've done from the beginning has always ever all of these decisive moves. Some of which I've been critical. I, I you know, I was critical of the DeAngelo Russell deal and basically said, "Look, if you, you know, it, it's fine if in the end you get your guys." And so right now, that looks like they're doing it. Um, you know, they got LeBron. It's a pretty good start. But, you know, there's always going to be some sort of no downside question. to any of these things. The, you know, and, and you know, to, and where they've made mistakes, it happened a couple times, like we, we've talked about it at length with Randall. They went too early all in with the idea of Randall's not part of the future and then ended up in a spot where they probably would have been like, oh, maybe he, we could have kept him around. But by that point, for they a lot of reasons, it, it, was, it wasn't going to work. So it could go wrong. But it can always go wrong, no, no, and I, I just, I, I like the way that they, they are extremely confident and focused on pushing towards what no, they. No believe question. Is the best if, if you
1: have a plan A and you've identified a plan A, you want to give yourself the best possible. You right. want to give yourself the best possible chances for plan A to come into fruition, and they've definitely done that. I'm just pointing out potential downside sure. for this upcoming season. It could happen. It, it's not disapproving of what they did. What, what stood out to me, though when you were talking about the way they've they've gone about really meticulously planning there there was also a real methodical nature to this because there was a lot of hardball taking place with Luol because like i i don't know this for a fact but I, I strongly suspect that the minute the lakers decided that dang was not going to be in not just in their plans but they're going to be stretching him at some point sure. there was a conscious decision to never play him ever to, and to never give mm-hmm. him any hope of getting
0: yes, moving That, to me, makes a lot of sense, but it's clear that the league still isn't quite sure what to make out of Lonzo because he was hurt last year and because he couldn't shoot. Lonzo
1: had this really bizarre rookie season that was both really, really good— in certain areas, like, you know, his defense was far better than anybody expected. Oh, but his, he's easily the, I mean, graded out as easily the best defender on the team. Yeah. I mean, as far as guys who actually mattered and had enough reps, Correct. He, he, especially Lon- once uh, Nance was gone. Right. Lonzo's defense was far ahead of the curve. He is an outstanding rebounder at his position. Like, he and Josh Hart could be, in a few years, one of the best, if not the best, rebounding backcourt in the league. And the passing was everything is advertised in the, in the court vision, the anticipation. No question. But the things that he didn't do well were so stark and so out there and actually started hindering what you could do with him as an overall player. He's this weird combination of fully developed but hindered through development, He's, if that makes you sense. Know what he is?
0: He's one of those those par-baked cookies. You know, like I don't they, know what that you is. You know, it's like where you you are like where you, where they intentionally leave it raw in the middle because people like that cookie dough flavor. Okay, but it's cooked on the outside. Okay, so he's like that,
1: not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's just he's he's a really unique player. Like uh, Ben Golliver actually described him very well in this piece. At his best, the twenty-year-old ball plays a beautiful weirdo brand of hoops that would merit a full chapter if Free Darko ever released a sequel. Yeah, I mean, that's no, a that's great a good- description of him, I mean, he's. He's such a unique and unusual player and point guard in 2018 NBA that it's in a lot of ways it's difficult to figure out what's what great with him, what's working I think was, and where he fits. I think it was the S,
0: uh, the the ESPN piece pointed out a lot of his pick and roll stats and he he fair he rated out very poorly in most things pick and roll related. And then you go back and you remember he never did that at no. UCLA. And you know, he's not, he didn't do it even a ton last year with no, the Lakers. No, he rarely did For, it. Certainly not compared to, you know,
1: Chris Paul, Russell well, Westbrook. Compared to I mean, Brandon Ingram, he didn't but, do but
0: it. Just, just you know, ball handling. Right, I'm guards. just saying, like,
1: compared to Brandon Ingram, when Brandon Ingram was running the point when Lonzo was out, Brandon Ingram was like Chris Paul with the pick and roll. In, forget just efficiency, I mean frequency so- compared to Lonzo.
0: So figuring out, like, kind of where he is, but, you know, all these numbers about his effectiveness and stuff like that, a lot of them are based on what happens when the defender, he goes, you know, he goes in the screen and the defender goes under the screen. Basically, go ahead and shoot. You know, like, we're certainly not going to give you a, a, the option of getting yourself in the lane and now you scare us. And all of these things, how you play next to LeBron, how you play coming off a screen and roll game and all these new improving, it's I, I I'm I always like to point out, like you did just now, he was really good at a lot of other things, but the, the shooting was really bad. And how limiting that can be if he can't fix it. it is we, impossible we've, we've to ignore. T- we've
1: talked about this before. It's the Ricky Rubio principle. It's, it's, it's yeah, that, you're right. It's that conundrum. And Ricky Rubio is a good player, but the limitations that had been on Rubio until his first season in Utah where all of a sudden he was able to shoot – They've been Stark and Rubio and Lonzo are very very similar players yeah. in terms of what they do well and what has limited Rubio and at least in Lonzo's first season limited him. Yeah, shooting. Um the other thing that that stuck out to me is that uh,
0: Randall came in on these rankings at SI at 72. Yes. Um and Brooke Lopez for what it's worth was 99. Mm-hmm. So the Lakers lost two guys. Yes. Um who are ranked, if you kind of want to take the two guys who are in there, they lost a guy who's ranked higher than the the lowest guy on the rankings for the Lakers, and then a guy who's ranked above the best player, save LeBron. I do think when people are upset about, how the Lakers are ranked in the Western Conference, and the people who think they might only be forty-five, forty-six wins, or whatever it might be. I do think one of the things that they always forget is that they lost their most productive player last year. They replaced him essentially with LeBron James, which is good. <laughs> but when you figure, oh, but they, they, you know, they have all the young guys coming back. They have this guy. They have that guy. They also lost. Their most productive player and one of their most productive players when they cared to use him in Brook Lopez. Most of the season he was sort of de-emphasized. And so I don't think any of the players that they signed are better than the guys that they let go. Rondo, I would argue, is more important than... Because they didn't have a backup point guard last year.
1: But regular season Rondo wasn't better than Julius Rondo. Rondo is the only guy on the list. Again, we're removing LeBron from this, obviously. Correct. But Rondo's the only guy on this list that you can at least make an argument for, if nothing else brooke Lopez. You can make an argument that Rajon Rondo is a better player sure, than Lopez, but he's not better than Ron- he's not better than Julius. Randall. I would agree with that. And the other three guys, you can't even begin to make the argument. Right. The other and three all- guys are nowhere
0: close to Lopez, much less Randall. And what it gets to, and this is why, Andy, our best case,
1: worst case stories are so vital. They really are uh, vital. Reading. They're actually more vital than anything you're going to read during the actual season. Probably. Like there, it's really that good, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. I plan on phoning it in as soon as it begins. <laughs> um, when, you know, I made this point about uh, about both KCP and Josh Hart. Part of what we're doing when people like us project the Lakers as a potential 50-win team and think they could be better is we look at guys like Hart, Kuzma, Ingram, and believe very strongly that these guys are ready to we make a job. We both do. Jump.
1: We are both quite high on the kids.
0: But it's easy to overrate kind of where they are because you can see the potential versus the actual production that they've brought to the NBA at this point. And if, for example, Josh Hart doesn't turn out to be like make a leap, like, whoa, summer league guy like that. He's, he's not just a useful bench player anymore. He's just like a guy you can't keep out of the starting lineup. If he becomes the second part of that, Guy, you can't keep out of the starting line. That's worth two or three wins. To the team this year, if he f- tails off, though, if KCP is a uh, you know a, a, a bad version of what we got last year, Seal Beach half. version, Seal Beach KCP. If Ingram doesn't jump, if Lonzo still can't shoot, yeah, okay, you know a couple of those. They're not all going to suck. That's not the point. But they have to get better for the Lakers to make a big jump in the conference. Just being kind of what they were last year, or a little better, isn't going to get them far enough because, like you said, there's a huge gap between Ingram at 75. And, and we and would
1: both agree they're second-best player. Yes. Brian I Ingram I, I is I their second-best. I don't think there and is so either. And so while
0: the Lakers have the best player in the league, other teams are going to have two or three guys Often in between the Lakers' first player, best player, and their second best player, in Ingram, and that
1: is a lot. And the Lakers have to make up that gap with the rest of the players. Well, it really drives home too the importance of Ingram this season because he is their second best player. And a, a few weeks ago, I was hosting—I don't remember which show on on ESPN LA. Andy, we do so many television, we really shows. do. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to keep them all straight. But uh, Brian Windhorst was sitting in with us, Windy, and he he talked about how Brandon Ingram needs to take you know needs to take a step forward this coming season and this the, the segment got tweeted out and i saw a lot of people you know our tweets, his tweets, getting laker fans getting upset at the notion that Brandon Ingram hasn't taken a step forward in his career they're like you know look at what he did last year yes. look at the improvement and it's, it's like great yeah, he did but for Brandon Ingram for the, for this team to do what you want them to do with LeBron in there and you know, be potentially capable of a deep playoff run, Brandon Ingram has to show himself capable of being the second-best player on a playoff team. And what we've seen with Brandon Ingram makes me think he could be, but he isn't there yet. No, right. So he has to he has take, to take to another, another step leap. And what we do is we sit there and we... We we
0: say, well, look what he did from year one to year two. We can expect, I think, something from year two to year three. But they're doing the same thing in Denver with Jamal Murray, and they're doing the same thing in I don't know, you know, pick a city with Carl, you know, Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota, still Philadelphia, Philadelphia with those guys. All I mean, the Western Conference has players all over the place. There's Spider Mitchell in in Utah. Um, you know, all of these things. Everybody's doing the same thing, and if the Lakers can't come out with Eight depth, you know, eight eight or nine deep with legitimately good players with these young guys who are much closer to top fifty players than they are top one hundred and fifty players. You're putting a lot on the. Okay,
1: I was going to say here's here's actually and the guy coincidentally was rated one spot ahead of Brandon Ingram. I think we'd both disagree with this, but Andrew Wiggins comes in at seventy yeah, I'd four. Rather have, I'd rather have Ingram. Ingram, but but Andrew Wiggins obviously can play. You know, he is a scorer. He can do that. But he has not evolved as a player in the way the Timberwolves had hoped, certainly when they gave him that long extension. And that lack of full evolution as a player, it stymies what the Timberwolves are trying to do. It hinders their growth as a team. It can only be so good. Right. And if Brandon Ingram does not continue to take steps forward, which we both think he will, but if he doesn't, then... There's only so far the Lakers can go, especially when he is their second best player.
0: Right. And you know, the assumption is that so they're gonna sign somebody in the offseason who will become the second best player, and then Ingram needs to be a top fifty guy at that point as opposed to a top twenty guy. Um and if you know, I, I, I really I feel very strongly that if the Lakers ever can get to a point where you need Brandon Ingram to be your third best player, they're gonna have a really good team. Yes. And you know, and you can fill in with Kuzma and Lonzo and and Hart and all those guys, now you've got a really good mixture going on there um but they got to get there um
1: reckless speculation yes let's do it it's my favorite kind of speculation All
0: right, So anthony davis is uh leaving his agent a guy named thad Foucher. boy that or guy's bummed thad fouché well he's new orleans i don't know <laughs> i mean it's it's in that area i prefer fouché yeah uh but it could be Foucher. it could be forcher it could be anything Oh, well, there's no there's no r uh, but anyway, <laughs> well, it couldn't he, be anything. It's whatever the <laughs> right. It's not Kevin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's,
1: um
0: so it's whatever the last is, name actually is, he's filed the paperwork um and he's supposedly going to go with Rich Paul of Clutch Sports. Um which somehow I think is going to mean that Contavius Caldwell-Pope is going to get like a 20 million dollar contract to stay here or go somewhere else. Um like that's going to be his gig
1: for the rest of his okay, life. Okay,
0: here's where anybody who wants a Rich Paul client, like you, just send KCP there. I was just going to say this, a season.
1: This is what I. This is where it just becomes blatantly obvious. Is if KCP ends up a Pelican next season, like he's just there, just right. a pipeline between between Rich Paul and or Machinca if he goes to New York or whatever, he is the canary in the coal mine. Well, but I'm saying in particular with Anthony Davis, if, he, if KCP ends up a pelican you know that something is in the works it's it's basically this
0: the he is under contract in new orleans until 2021 Mm -hmm. so wherever kcp is playing in 2021 is where anthony davis will be in 2022 Mm. i think that's probably how it works true um he's coming to los angeles right because he signed with with clutch one would figure
1: God, that's gonna be a good team. Or he's gonna like, Or is he he's going coming? to Philadelphia.
0: No. When's he coming? When is Anthony Davis coming? Well, that's
1: okay, well this, Anthony Davis is excellent. This is and he's young. Yeah. I mean I'm you all, start getting into how many Like, I
0: do not I am not a fan of the Jimmy Butler signing this no. off season. Again, Tibbs. Um he's going Jimmy Butler's gonna turn into Lou all day much sooner than any of us want.
1: But I'm all over this Anthony Davis idea. Yeah, I mean you're gonna end up I mean unless you're going to wait till 2021 which is not maximizing lebron then at that point you're trading a bunch of the kids but you're bringing in anthony davis who would you trade right now would you trade all three of them for anthony davis
0: i trade all three for all, anthony? you get to keep josh hart but you trade lonzo kuzma and ingram for anthony davis probably got to throw a pick in there
1: my heart doesn't want to. My head says, "Don't be an idiot." Hell yes, you do. Yeah, that. I don't want to do it. I don't want I, to but either. I, but I likely
0: would. Yes. And if they made me throw in heart, I do it. Now I have LeBron and Anthony Davis, and I'll work out the details later. And I still have Lance Stevens, <laughs> so I'm excited by that. I mean, this is not a trade the Lakers can make because, as we talked about, they just got rid of the uh, the Deng
1: contract. But this is only going to funny. Well, look, they, could, they could move. They could move KCP. And it's thirteen million dollars with you know with the explanation of you're going to be back. <laughs> like, Don't worry. Yeah, I mean your contract runs out in a year. At that point, you can re-sign with us again. Just trust us. All right. You you know what your role is within this organization. Like KCP is going to get a statue for like seven different teams
0: <laughs> because like again, this is just what Clutch is going to do with him. Like you want you, if you want our guy. John Wall is a clutch guy, uh Anthony Davis whatever it is. Then you got to take KCP for a year. <laughs> That's not a bad way to live. No. I mean, KCP other than LeBron James himself. There is nobody in the NBA who's mm. made out better well, in the pursuit well, of for the pursuit of LeBron. For, James. It's
1: easy well, for the pursuit of LeBron James, it's easy to forget he turned down a very big Deal with the the pistol.
0: I just mean in terms of, uh, but you are the Straight up pursuit of LeBron. Yes, you James. are correct. Nobody has profited more yes. from that.
1: Yes, the Lakers going after no him. No question. No question. Then well, yeah, I mean it's so once it, that once that became his role as opposed to just you know normal basketball player who's looking for a long term contract. Once he switched up roles as you know the guy that you bring in house to try to attract X clutch client.
0: You have to respect somebody who can reinvent themselves at twenty four the way he did. Yeah i don't need it i'm just this is gonna be my my thing now it's like being blake griffin's friend (laughs) like a a thing for a little while it worked out for deandre um so that's gonna happen so i look forward to anthony davis joining the team uh in other reckless speculation news andrew bynum is also going to be a laker
1: (laughs) (laughs) there's a video out right now of andrew bynum doing workouts um I mean, he, <laughs> he's
0: posting up a guy who's like, I think five seven.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's not quite uh, the chairman. Um, uh, he, God, what's his name now? I'm completely forgetting. Oh, the his guy name. who did the workout against the chair. Yeah, and everybody was like, he yes. looks
0: great. But that's a chair.
1: Yeah, Bill Simmons nicknamed him the Chairman. Right. Um, <laughs> I forget who it was. Uh, Chinese player, I completely oh, e. It's uh was e. it e John Yeah, it, yeah I couldn't remember. Uh, but yes, it's e. The Lakers just need to sign Bynum to take questions from the media. Like, he'd have no actual role on the team. He just comes out. By the way, Andrew Bynum is supposedly uh, entertaining a comeback. That's what this is. He hasn't played
0: since 2014. Uh, He is entertaining a comeback.
1: Um, But he just needs to be brought back to take questions from us after every practice. Because that guy was the best. He had no filter whatsoever yeah i remember like john black the old pr uh, head used to get upset at us because you know andrew bynum would blab something us that he shouldn't have. he's like you guys are taking advantage of him and we're like he's in his fifth season john right. and he's he was right <laughs> we were like
0: we if there was something that we wanted to know the answer to that we knew we weren't supposed to know the answer to we would go talk to Bynum. but you can't take advantage of a guy who wants to say it writers just doesn't care about right. your desire to not have that thing said out loud
1: you know what else is crazy to think about with Bynum? He's thirty. He's going to turn thirty-one in like a, I think, a few weeks. Yeah, Andrew Bynum has been in like the NBA fan, Laker fans' consciousness for so long. It's like a child star. It's like it's like it's like in nineteen ninety-one when you're watching Silence of the Lambs. And you realize that that little girl from Bugsy and Taxi Driver is only 29. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I mean, seriously. Like, it's Andrew
0: Bynum. It's insane. Well, Jodie Foster is 55. And you're like, you think to yourself, oh my God, she's been around forever.
1: Right. She's 55 because she started when she was eight yeah. or whatever. I mean, it's a child star yeah. thing. It's, it's crazy to think that Bynum is almost 31.
0: Yeah, that's, that's insane. <laughs> um, some of this, I got to be honest, some of this makes me, a, I need to learn a little bit more about this. These types of stories, fun factor aside, and I look, you know, they want to bring Drew. They have an open roster spot, (laughs) should be noted. Um, I mean, we want him to come back for all the wrong reasons. For the same reasons, I think Lance Stevenson and Michael Beasley are a great idea. I want them to sign uh, Andrew Bynum. Basketball wise, no. But I always do get a little concerned whenever you see these sort of comeback stories or whatever. They make me a little sad. Because I I kind of want to know why Drew wants to come back. Because the perception was he was always a guy who could kind of take or leave basketball. The flip side is he never really got a chance to end his
1: career because his knees just wouldn't. go and, and look to Drew's credit, because you know when we covered him, that definitely was the perception was that you know he was a guy that played in part because he's extremely tall and he happens to be a good athlete for somebody that size. And you know he's amazing. He Love the right. game. Bynum dragged his ass through the 2010 playoffs oh yeah i mean like especially by that finals i i asked him one time because you know went to seven games against celtics when they won if he could have played a game eight and he laughed he said absolutely not i mean he he dragged himself through that and
0: i i just i think i I just i always think it's worth noting sure are you coming back because you don't kind of know what to do with yourself or the money are you running out of money Drew like toys he liked cars and yeah. science kits and beakers. <laughs> and, <laughs> but he always uh, bought like solid platinum beakers. I could never tell if Drew was the kind of guy who was going to burn through all of his money in 20 minutes because he's a really bright guy. Um, he's
1: extremely smart. Or,
0: or was you know, smart enough to hold on to, you know, I mean, a lot. I mean, he made a lot of money. Yes, then, he yeah? did. So if he just wants to come back is it's like, you know what? I'm 30 years old. I can still do this. Yeah. Um, Similar to Emeka Okafor, who, you know, came back from the back injury and played surprisingly well for New Orleans last year. Like that turned into a really good story. If it's just I didn't get to finish this thing on my own terms, I I never I, really realized what I had I until it, it was taken now away from and me. all that. I feel better now, my body feels better, I understand it. But and, you know, the game it works on like kind of a double edged thing because people are saying, Well, what's he gonna do in the NBA now? Like it's changed, there's no room for Andrew Bynum anymore. Maybe if he's lucky, he plays 10 or 15 minutes a night somewhere. But that actually works in his favor as well, because he only needs to be able to play 10 or 15 minutes a night at the most. And anyway, because I can't think of a, a system or a team where he is going to come back to the NBA and be a 35 minute a night guy, even if he's in great shape. It just... The league has changed. Plus, so. also
1: he he was taking threes as a center well before it was fashionable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's true. He it's was sp-
1: very much out of the. Curve. <laughs> He's expanding my game. <laughs> God, I missed that.
0: Um, well, I mean, we both miss Bynum. terribly. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was one of the great moments of the Mike Brown era. Was when he benched Andrew Bynum for for uh, what did they call uh, because he was always playing, he was expanding his... expanding
1: his game. Yeah, no, but what did they call when he was uh, when he was always playing his music so loud? What, they called like oh, Studio it cl- seventeen. It was club nineteen. Club, club seventeen. Club seventeen. Club right. seventeen. Drew was known for just blasting his oh, was, music. Oh, and it was obnoxious in the locker room on the on the bus, oh, like everywhere. It was, it
0: was obnoxious. Um he basically like the minute. Didn't you find him like after they won a title, just like wandering around LA Live in his game? No, shorts? that was Meta. Oh,
1: it was Meta? Okay. It was Meta. Meta was in his full uniform like an hour and a half after <laughs> just Staples around. Center closed down. He's just wandering around the LA Live Plaza. It's like a little. It's like a little kid after like winning the Little League championship, and you got his ice cream. Yeah,
0: he's still <laughs> just wandering around. Um, my son, my youngest, refuses to take his uniform off after games. He'll wear it all day. He wants to put it on the next day. Well, just loves
1: the game, like Bynum. That started acting out towards the end of Phil Jackson's tenure. Remember, he got ejected in that series against Dallas, uh, putting the rib to J.J. Barea and he took off his shirt WWE whole style. Thing went off the rails. And then he started acting out more with Mike Brown in Phil Jackson's place, and he clearly did not respect Mike Brown a whole lot. And then when Derek Fisher got traded, that was truly when, like, the last sort of bastion of parenting for Andrew Bynum was still the there. The whole thing would just... It went and, sideways. And he, and he
0: didn't play in Philly and like the Orlando. Did he ever Indiana. play in? No, he he never played for Philly though either, did he? Or did he actually no, play? No, he never in played in, he never played for Philly, Philly. And he went to Indiana and barely played. Right. And so like he I mean legitimately didn't really have a chance to finish a career. And it's certainly possible that you look back on it. You know, look, like Baron Davis has tried to come back like 43 times. Because you look at it and you're like, God, I wish. And Baron is a great example of it because never really took care of his body. Realized that that mistake probably too late to be able to solve it. by him, like I said, he's not—he's thirty, which is extraordinary. Yeah. Um, so I—I I, do you think this has any chance of working? Because if you only need, there are only so many people in the world who are, you know, seven feet tall, and every team basically is going to want one of those guys. He's the skill, the hand-eye
1: stuff is probably still he, there. He has the Great softest hands. hands of a big man I, I've of any I've covered and that includes Powell. So if he's healthy His hands were even softer than Pow's.
0: If he's healthy I don't know totally if I agree with that but, but he had great hands. Um, if
1: he's healthy I think Pow's hands were more dexterous and they were better, better hands to doing, have. Doing they were better hands to have but I mean just softness of being able to catch anything. His hands were like a vacuum cleaner. They were great. Um, I don't think it's, it's totally if, out
0: of the question. If you were any let me put it this way. If you had to play any position in basketball where you wanted to make a comeback after not playing since 2014, I would take center, even though the game is different now because there, there's a positional scarcity there. There are only so many people in the world who
1: are big enough to do it. I think a lot with Bynum is just going to depend on the interview. Like you know, The workout's the workout, but I think a lot of teams are going to want to know where's his head at. Because, you know, Bynum had a reputation when he was on his way out of the league and in a lot of ways quite deserved for being a head case yeah. and just being very, very difficult a, a, to deal a, a with. Little <laughs> a little aloof. A little aloof, but also just malcontent at times. Yeah. Um, and we I mean, we both liked him. I actually liked Drew. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have wanted him on my team.
0: No, but, <laughs> but I really want him in the league. Right. He's one of those. He's a little like Nick Young. He's, there are certain guys that I think should be required to spend –
1: Six games a year. Yes, with every team. No, in the he, Bynum should be Like a traveling in, road show. I want him in the league. He is a wonderfully. Yes. he's a wonderfully awful spokesperson for the league which is exactly why I want him there in the 1860s he'd have been somebody traveling
0: around selling tonic <laughs> <laughs> you know healing tonics to people like you don't want that guy in your town but on the other hand
1: the guy's pretty entertaining. you can make some
0: good stories about yeah. the guy who sells the healing tonic yeah but um, I mean all
1: kidding aside I wish him the best if this is something you really wants hey, I would like to see it happen yeah I would be
0: um it's easy to forget he was pretty good before
1: he started do getting Do you want to
0: talk about burt reynolds or the guy who tried to get his girlfriend to marry him in a spider-man game but then broke up with the girl i mean we could probably do both because we'll i think pick one burt reynolds okay feel bad for that guy though mm. um he knew what he was getting into <laughs> so burt reynolds died
1: at 82 yes correct this week or now last week is not that last um, week yeah it was uh friday i believe it was Thursday. It was actually Thursday. And
0: he was... I, How do you describe the career of Burt Reynolds? Like, a lot of people have done it over the last... And, and eulogized him and all these things. Because, you know, on the one hand, he was a... You don't think of him as you do Eastwood, uh,
1: Redford, De Niro, as, like, actors. No. But he wasn't a bad actor. the when, when he wanted to be. When he wanted to when be. When he wanted to he be. He was a good actor. Yes.
0: Um, he wasn't famous and relevant now in ways that, you know, again, some of these other guys, but he was still iconic, you know, as, as sort of a, a symbol of that era, of an era, of a type, of whatever. He's a really difficult guy to pigeonhole the,
1: and had a fascinating life. The, the way I would best describe Burt Reynolds is movie star. Like, he is a movie star in the purest sense of being a star. I mean, just like sheer star power. He was the biggest box office draw from 1978 to 1982 straight every single year. And it was not by virtue of his talent or the quality of film. If anything, it was in spite of both, but just charisma and appeal, personality, sexuality. Like, he made being a star look so effing easy yeah and like that that to me is the quintessential essence of burt reynolds it just he was a movie star the moon and and
0: be at a time when being a movie star was still something that is different than it is now yes which is is not to say that guys don't become stars in movies because obviously they do but there there are nine gajillion other ways that people become famous there you know the 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 idea of the sort of the movie star sex symbol thing is different now than it used to be. Um, you know, all, it's just a different deal now. A movie star was different in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and into the 80s than it
1: is now. It's well, just, I mean, the, it's, the, presen- the presentation of movie stars was different. The access to stars, you know, and the, the social media world that we live in now where where actors are re- and entertainers, they're regularly interacting with fans and putting out their message and whatever, you know, their branding, like it can be fun, but it removes a mystique that used to be there for movie stars and for entertainers in the sense that they're, they're more touchable now. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. when there used to be more of like a wall and a curtain that you would imagine yourself peeking behind to see what they were doing. I, I was talking about this with a friend of mine, like the movie being John Malkovich, the concept doesn't work anymore. Like the idea of somebody paying money to spend fifteen minutes inside John Malkovich's brain in the age of social media, when all these stars are putting it out for free, like it, it wouldn't make any money now. Right. Well, I, there's, there's also too, there's an analog
0: here, I think, with like somebody like Jack Nicholson, who part, you know, the the part of the, I think the mystique of somebody like Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, guys like that, who are great looking, talented, as big as stars as movie stars can be, and all this kind of stuff actively push up against that notion of the kind of the shallowness of the concept of being a movie star to a much larger degree. Somebody like Jack, who's done serious work still leans into being Jack Nicholson, Burt Reynolds leaned into being Burt Reynolds. And at the expense, to some degree, of of his you know people taking him seriously, which one of the reasons he, if you listen to interviews, he talks about his role in Deliverance a lot as one he's most proud of because it showed people he was legitimate at what he did. People people had to take him seriously, but you know to be that guy, the sex symbol, the the dude who lays out nude in the post, you know the Deadpool thing, except it's Burt Reynolds and it's actually it's, co- I mean, it's Cosmo. It's it was nineteen seventy two in Cosmo, like. You, there's a certain shallowness to that, that he was willing to kind of
1: embrace as being a movie star. Well, I mean, he, he embraced it, but at the same time, that came from, very admittedly on his part, not really having a consistent willingness to push himself. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the the irony of being proud of Deliverance you know, and being taken seriously from Deliverance is he did not really work hard to capitalize on that. It's like once he got taken seriously, he was like, all right, well, I mean, I've pushed yeah, it. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting, too, though, like just you, you were talking about before the way like guys like DiCaprio and Brad Pitt have pushed up against that movie star image, which in a lot of ways is pushing up against just being considered pretty boys Correct. or, you know, you being there because of your looks as opposed to your talent. And that's true. But we're also now living in an age where movie stars that aren't heavily associated with or even overshadowed by a superhero franchise or a tent pole or some type of franchise is becoming extremely rare. I mean like DiCaprio is one he's really the only major star I can think of who's never done a franchise of any kind. That's true. I'm just not I'm not debating, I'm trying to think of other guys. I mean like like DiCaprio hasn't done hasn't been overshadowed by that. And I think someone like Denzel hasn't either, but even though he's done a lot of popcorn movies. But like it's being a movie star now, in terms of like just being able to shine, is different than it was during Burt Reynolds' heyday, and just sort of I that thought, period. I mean, how,
0: many, how, many,
1: how many movies now? And this
0: is more of a, less of a Burt Reynolds question: Is how many movies now are driven by
1: the star? Far fewer, very far, few. it's far seems fewer like. than it was, you know, ten to twenty years ago. Much less when Burt Reynolds. Right.
0: I mean, it's you know, Crazy Rich Asians is driven as much by. First of all, it's supposed to, I haven't seen it. It's supposed to be great. But um, also what it, represents. Like what it represents and the concept and, sure. and, and the, the, the niche it fills and, and all that stuff. And like you say, ten pole movies, you know, the Avengers and, you know, the,
1: all the Marvel movies and stuff are driven by that universe and whatever. You don't really care who's in them. Well, I mean, look, Tom Cruise, for example, in the Mission Impossibles, like he's in a lot of ways a vehicle for delivering stunts. Like Tom, Tom, right. Tom Cruise. But this,
0: do people go see... Tom Cruise movies, in the same way anymore.
1: They don't, but but that's also in part because does Tom, he make Tom Cruise that's, movies anymore? That's what I was getting at. He doesn't really do that anymore. And most people, like if you look at what used to be popular entertainment, you know, just twenty or so years ago, it was far more movie star driven. In you know the face of the movie as opposed to the concept. Right. Denzel is one of the you know Denzel's I probably the I think. You know, Hanks, I think to some
0: degree, still qualifies as one of those guys where I want to see the next movie sure. Tom Hanks is in. But it's I becoming, more, it next, it's becoming
1: right. more of a rarity. And it just it right. reminded me of, you know, what Burt Reynolds was as a star. I mean, like, you know, you can say that he was a sellout, that he was lazy, that he didn't challenge himself. Had he, would, awful, he would say a right. lot of those things. But he was a star. Like, he didn't even elevate bad material. And it didn't matter. Mm.
0: Um um, it is worth, though, uh, before we go, noting the ways in which cinema history uh, could have changed. Yes. Um, all the This gives you an idea. This is as much a, an idea to give you a, an idea of how big a star Burt Reynolds is, or was, I should say. He turned down James Bond. Said that he didn't think it made sense as an
1: American. Okay. He turned down Michael Corleone in The Godfather. Well, that was that was in part he said because Brando wouldn't have done it. Brando did not want to do it with him. Correct.
0: Um, (laughs) And (laughs) and I gotta say, flattered that he was upset. I was gonna
1: say no disrespect to Brando, but I think that worked out for the best. I
0: agree. But I'm just like again thinking about how cinema history could have been different. He turned down Han Solo in Star Wars,
1: which actually I have to say, I think he would have been pretty good. Except it would have killed some of Norm Macdonald's material as Burt Reynolds on Saturday Night Live. But actually, you can picture—I can picture that. I can picture that. He turned this one. I, I thought was—he's too big. He was too big a star, right. for Star Wars. But just as a role, I can, I can picture. He could—he could have
0: you know, done Han Solo in his sleep. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure he would have. And, 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 and interestingly enough, Harrison Ford, by the way, you could argue has taken a Burt Reynolds path in a lot of his. Uh, uh, efforts later, uh later in career uh richard gear the richard
1: Gere role in pretty woman it's a different movie it's a different movie because he's older than richard Gere was i mean not Correct. significantly older but, but older. it's a
0: different movie and a different type of 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 older
1: yeah different type of guy different type of whatever but could have done it um jack nicholson's role in one flew over the cuckoo's nest i can actually really picture that sure. I'm, not, I'm not saying he would have been as good as nicholson no, but i can absolutely totally. that fits Picture Especially go back to the era, and this one to me is fascinating.
0: He said he also turned down Nicholson's role in terms of which mentality. I can he also calls, he calls one of his biggest regrets.
1: I like, can also easily picture right. him in that role. I actually think he would have been really, mm-hmm. really good in that role. But this one, Bruce Willis's role in Die Hard, yeah.
0: Regardless of whether or not you think you did it better, worse, whatever, and it's hard to be. It's almost impossible to perfect. think of anybody else in that role at this point. Again, just one of these like pivot points of how different movies are how different people's careers are and all that if bruce willis isn't in die hard and like what that i don't that's just i don't what is that world i'm glad harrison ford's not in star wars yeah like, what is the what does the world look like after that we always talk about if the blazers had drafted mj yeah, what does Hollywood look like if some of these things, if Burt Reynolds, for whatever reason, doesn't turn these things down? Yeah, it's, or it, it, you know, for whatever reason, Marlon Brando really wants to work with him instead of
1: uh, he also of, turned uh, down. This was interesting. You know. Tom Skerritt's role in the movie Mash, um, which he said, "quote They told me the other leads would be Barbara Streisand's husband, that's Elliot Gould, <laughs> and the tall, skinny guy that was in the Dirty Dozen." <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, <laughs> so it just
0: it he, gives you an idea of how big a star he was that he was offered all of those
1: yes. things and all just, of them. He rivals John Travolta, who was you know at his heyday more or less the same time in awful taste and scripts. <laughs> like because Travolta turned down a ton of good scripts, you know, in in his effort to do things like Two of a Kind. Um, Travolta had really notoriously. Awful, awful taste in scripts. Uh, It was interesting too. Like Burt Reynolds really hated Boogie Nights. Like he really turned it down, turn it down six or seven times, and he was never, he was never comfortable with. And it's I mention this just because it's maybe his best performance ever, Mm -hmm. and you know it, it sparked a mini comeback that he never really capitalized on. Also true. Um, he just he was never comfortable with the material. I also think he hated, hated knowing. That Paul Thomas Anderson was right the whole time. That Paul Thomas Anderson yeah, knew Paul what Thomas he was Anderson doing. Anderson said that if you
0: do this and you and you invest yourself, you will get nominated. And they hated each other. Yes,
1: they like he actually offered uh, Burt Reynolds a role in Magnolia. Like despite everything they had been through, he wanted a Magnolia, and Reynolds turned it down. I, in closing with him, uh, I didn't realize this until he died. He had been cast in the Tarantino movie. Yes, uh, Once Upon a Time in Los Angeles. About the Tate lapianca Manson murders, I would have loved to have seen him with a director like Tarantino, who's so good with actors and writes dialogue so well. That would have been interesting, if nothing else. Yeah, especially
0: now too, because like he started to look older. You know, there's some plastic surgery, what looks like plastic surgery that had gone a little odd. Um, well, when you start adding layers
1: upon layers, right? I mean,
0: for for real, yeah. It just, you know, it would have. It, well, you're right. With a good director
1: and hopefully, and generally, generally works with good material. Tarantino, it would have been interesting to see. Um, obviously, you know, people know the great roles. I would recommend if people have not seen it though this movie called Breaking In. He did in the late '80s. Um, this movie called Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, he's fun as hell in that movie. Yes, and Cannonball Run. I mean, it's crap, but it's fun crap. But this movie, Breaking In, uh, was directed by Bill Forsyth, who did Local Hero, and was written by John Sayles. Um, he plays um, a career thief who takes uh, Casey Sesmako under his wing um, as a as a mentor to him about being a thief. It's a really quirky, good role for Burt Reynolds. And again, a reminder of when the guy wanted what to. When he wanted to be. And I uh, was so, listening, Bill Simmons pointed this out, and it's true. There has never been. A more convincing actor as a quarterback than Burt Reynolds in the Longest Yard, ever. Oh yeah, that's true. I mean, he is—he
0: is to being good at that what Michael J. Fox was to being bad at playing basketball. Like, if, <laughs> if, like if you haven't <laughs> or skateboarding or skateboarding, back to or the either one. Like, if if you haven't seen the Longest Yard, you haven't gone back and watched the original. You've only seen the uh, Adam the Sandler version. I don't know why, but you haven't, like, and you don't have in your head like what that looked like. Burt Reynolds played football at Florida State, so it's like he was cast, I think, for a reason. But as, he was as good at that as Michael J. Fox was bad at looking like a basketball player in Teen Wolf. Yes. Indeed. So keep that in mind. Um, all right. So we're getting to that part now where we can actually start um, doing these things regularly with things to talk about and – Everybody's back, and so our schedules are a little more regular, and the season's going to start, and all that. So, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say we'll see everybody next week. Okay, yeah, you in? Do it. Board. All right, we'll see everybody next week.